Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. In Exodus 13 through Exodus 17, uh, uh, we're covering Torah portion 16. And today I wanted to uh, teach on a subject uh, I've entitled this, Seven Biblical Keys That Lead to Spiritual Freedom. Uh, on Israel is coming out of Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land, And in the initial stages of Israel's departure from Egypt, God shows us some things uh, that reveal a pattern or a process that leads to redemption. How many of you understand that being born again, having an altar call experience, isn't just the the last thing that God wants to do, it's the first thing that God wants. And so now you're on that proverbial uh, uh, steps in a a thousand steps ahead of you in your journey. And so Israel's made their covenant commitment. That's what Passover and the sacrifice is all about. Uh, They're walking out of Egypt, uh, but there are some other challenges that they have to face. And perhaps the biggest of the challenges is how is Israel going to get set free from the slave mentality? All right? Because they've been in bondage for a couple hundred years Uh, The rabbis teach the last 80, 90 years was the severest part of it, this uh, severe torture and brutality and cruelty. And so you live under that negativity, and it has an impact on your soul. And so uh, God knew that it's not just the act of uh, the sacrifice, the tenth plague that Israel needs. They got some emotional trauma to get over. And so what you realize here is it's not just a physical bondage that they need salvation and deliverance from. Uh, There's also spiritual bondage. How many of you know somebody that's in uh, in emotional or spiritual chains? Yeah, well, we need to pray and bind the devil and loosen the power of God on a regular basis and keep chipping away at that thing. Amen? So uh, uh, this is where God shows us he has a plan and he has a pattern to release amazing grace. Amen. It's nice that the rain falls on the just from, you know, but we just don't want a little sprinkle for it. We want to know what can I actively partner with you on, Lord, to manifest more grace, more mercy, more power, more miracles, more breakthrough in my life. And uh, you might recall that last week, out of Exodus 6, 
the Lord makes seven powerful declarations of redemption. These are the famous I wills. This is God speaking to Moses, God speaking to Israel about what he's going to do. I will do some things. And in Exodus 6, 6, it says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. But he just didn't stop there. There's six more. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. But there's more. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Come on, somebody. Yeah, so there's a whole sermon in that, but just in a nutshell, God's revealing the progressive nature of His redemptive work in our lives. There's more than just the altar call. You know, that's the important first step, but there's so much more. But see, this explains why many wonderful people struggle. And they get frustrated in their Christianity because they don't fully understand this concept of progressive redemption. That bumper sticker, God's not finished with me yet. Well, there's a truth to that, right? The work that He started way back when, He's not done working on you. There's still some things, as the Beatles say, we need to work out. We can work it out. And so the prayer of salvation for many was somehow thought to be the end of it all. Okay, I prayed. Now what more do you expect? And preachers kind of, not maliciously, but, you know, uh, they, they kind of enable it. There's only one thing you have to do. Pray for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Well, excuse me. I've been pastoring for almost 35 years and have uh, uh, done a multiplied uh, hundreds or thousands of counseling, phone calls, uh, uh, ministry. And uh, I can assure you that unless you're the thief on the cross and you're going uh, into eternity uh, at sundown tonight, there's a whole lot of things that need to manifest, that need to flow out of your life if you want to have the victory and experience the promises uh, that are made in the Bible. That's why it's called fighting the good fight of faith. Put up your dukes. Boom, boom, boom. Amen? In other words, now that you're saved, there's work to do. Remember the average white man said, I got work to do. Well, you got work to do. So don't fall into the thing, there's nothing I have to do. Yeah, there's nothing you have to do to uh, 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 earn your salvation. But now that you're saved, there's work to do on your character, on your nature, on your attitude, behavior, your conduct. There's work to do. 
And not only that, and this is what Israel faced, think of the years. Now, some of you were born saved, right? You were born and your first steps were walking on water. If you came from my house, uh, you grew up in the dysfunctional family. How many of you understand a dysfunctional family? All right, so the devil has inflicted things on people's lives uh, that need to be reversed. Did you hear me, church? There's some things that are imparted, embedded, inflicted on you that are bad. A bad philosophy, a bad ideology. Just the emotional pain of, of, of the disappointments, the frustrations that led to an addiction, that led to, uh, 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 you know, all manner of sinful, wicked behavior. And that thing needs to be reversed. And God is saying, I am the Lord. And I will redeem you. I will rescue you. I will bring you out of all of the horrible stuff that you experience serving the devil. And I will bring you into a good land. I'm going to bring you in and give you a heritage. Amen. So the act of salvation is instant. Yeah, at a moment of time, John Wesley said a man uh, could be riding a horse unsaved and uh, fall off his horse and be saved before he hits the ground. Amen. Amen. So there is an instant component to salvation, but then there's an ongoing component this progressive uh, component of salvation and in uh, theological terms you would call that sanctification are you sanctified <laughs> amen and, and even though we joke it that's a good thing because sanctification means god is separating you He's separating you from sin. He's separating you from cravings. He's separating you from worldly appetites and bringing you unto Himself. Praise be to God. So going into 2022, let's just enjoy the journey. And every now and then, if you're bold enough, if you've got a, a, a mustard seed kind of faith, maybe you'll say, God, do a work in me. Do a Holy Ghost heart surgery in me and prune away some of the things in my life that are contributing to the negativity, the slave mentality that always seems to rear its ugly head. Who wants to sign up for that today? I see that hand, that hand. <laughs> Amen. Look at Philippians 1.6. This is from the Passion Translation. I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good word. Claim that word, that God is doing a glorious work in you. Yeah, sometimes the truth hurts, but really what you thought was the truth was probably a lie. 
And the devil probably sowed a lie in there. He's the father of all lies. And you spent years and years living for the devil, consuming his lies. And all of a sudden, uh, God opened the eyes of your heart and you're beginning to see, uh, this ain't matching up. And so God said, I'm going to do a glorious work and I'm going to get you into a process of maturity. Uh Uh-oh, he's using the... I don't want to grow up! (laughs) Come on, let the Lord put some finishing touches on the work that he's begun and then when Jesus Christ returns, you get to hear the famous words, Well done! Amen. Amen. Jesus put it this way, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this revelation, that you are the yoke-destroying, burden-removing Messiah that comes to give me victory on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Amen? So God has a destiny for us to become a prevailing people. But we need to be willing to learn more about, okay, what's the pattern? What's the process? And what do I do to enter in? And so uh, uh, this is why the great leaders, uh, not only in uh, Christianity, but obviously especially in Judaism, interpret Uh, the Jewish people coming out of Egypt uh, 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 as a journey and not so much as a destination. Success in spiritual success is a journey. Our whole lives, we're building momentum and improving ourselves and learning more, acquiring more wisdom, more knowledge, more on how the things of God jointly fit together in our lives. So it's a journey. It's not like, oh, okay, I, uh, I went to church for one whole year. What more do you want me to do? So God brings them into the wilderness on this journey uh, so He can teach them lessons of faith. Lessons in trusting God. We all need spiritual training. We need a biblical education. Amen? Amen? Uh, And God is the master teacher. God is the master builder. And what we're seeing in the book of Exodus and really throughout the first five books of uh, the Bible, the Humash, the five books of Moses, it's a real-time spiritual curriculum that God is giving Israel. I'm going to teach you how to be one individual under God. I'm going to teach you how to be one family under God. And Here's where Christians don't understand why God gave the Torah and why Jews hold on to the Torah. God had to give the Jewish people the rules for living so they would be one nation under God. And America adopted that model. And now in these last days you see the Antichrist crowd trying to unravel us being one nation under God, trying to get everybody at each other's throats, hating one another. That's the devil's work. Open your eyes and pray against that. Vote against that. Amen. Amen. 
And so we've got this spiritual curriculum. Oh, there's my Bible. It's, our, it's in our Bible. So what I want to do is go through quickly uh, seven major events that followed Passover. Uh, these are progressive experiences that God arranged in stages. Uh, and uh, you could call it training for reigning. Amen. You could call it working out your salvation. Uh, but here's the, here's the bottom line. When you begin to correctly apply the Bible into your life and into especially those inflammatory circumstances, all of a sudden God is going to help you break down that stronghold the enemy has built. The enemy has been working since you were a baby, trying to build strongholds in your life that would keep you from experiencing the full power and promises of God. And now that you're an adult, now that you're in this maturing process, wake up, church. Begin to use the spiritual weapons of your warfare and start fighting back. Amen. Amen. And just remember, we battle not against flesh and blood. All right, I know that some of these people get under, uh, you are on my last nerve. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, it's the devil behind it all. Amen. And so you need to have God behind you, working in you, uh, His perfect will. He has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for all of us. And He wants to build in a new mindset of how to live in faith, how to live in freedom, how to have that confidence, how to have victory and peace even in the midst of a storm. Alright, so the first thing is God gave Israel a burn the ships moment. And uh, I can't, I was just telling Lydia uh, uh, this earlier this week, I can't believe that it's been two years since I preached that sermon, burn the ships. Where did two years go? But one of the very first things we see God do on this journey to freedom is have Israel experience a burn the ships moment. And if you go to Exodus thirteen seventeen, here's where it, it, it happens. It said, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road. God didn't lead them the easy way. And it, it says that he didn't, the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. See, where they were at, they could have just walked right up the coast and right up through that area we now call Gaza, up towards Tel Aviv, and then right on into Jerusalem or wherever. But he took them a different way. Even though it was the shortest route, he took them a different way. And the reason I call this a burn the ships moment is God wanted Israel out in the wilderness where there was no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Repeat that five, or get your spiritual chalkboard, and if you're struggling with something, write that down 500 times. I ain't turning back. I didn't come all this way uh, in my salvation to chuck it all and go back and live for Satan. 
So the Lord is saying, once you enter into a covenant commitment, you need to begin to eliminate the possibilities of going back to your former lifestyle. Right? Don't, don't be framing pictures in your house of the old days when you were a sinner and that's your, what you want to remember. Satan uses a lot of nostalgia to entrap you. And you're just like Al Pacino in The Godfather. I tried to get out, but he pulled me back in. The decision to move forward and cut your ties with the past isn't always easy. They're your friends. doesn't mean you abandon them. It means you redefine the nature of your relationship. I'm a Christian now. I don't buy dope no more. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't snorting something up my nose anymore. I've got something that makes me more high than anything I can buy. <laughs> right? Now that can make you feel uncomfortable in the early stages. The day we got born again, March 11, 1984, we immediately went back to our apartment and all my coke, all my marijuana, all my uh, booze, all went down the toilet. Down the drain. That's a big step for a drug addict. <laughs> But when you know the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior and God of all gods, amen, you're willing to take that step and eliminate that. I'm eliminating this from my life. That's how you fulfill your destiny in Christ. So you got to burn some ships. Amen. Number two, love leaves no man behind. The next thing we read about in Exodus 13.20 is that the Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now what does that mean? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, because God mentions this because this is an area on the Sinai Peninsula where archaeologists have discovered the location of ancient Egyptian mines. I spent a lot of time reading on this yesterday. It's just fascinating. And uh, this territory would have been filled with Jewish slaves condemned to a life of forced labor mining copper and turquoise. And God was teaching Israel that you leave no man behind. You don't sacrifice your kids on the altar of Molech. You don't uh, have a sense of, I don't care about them, I got mine. God is saying, and He's showing us here, there's a principle that all of us need to immediately develop. Some are further ahead than others. But God says, you need to develop a love. A love. The grace that God showed me when I got saved I negated all that and began to condemn all my friends. You dirty, rotten sinners, turn or burn. What an idiot. Man, if I could go back and change that, I would. If I knew then what I know now, I'd realize it's the goodness of God. They didn't need me waving my finger and giving them a lecture, turn or burn. 
we're going to the cowboy game today. And inevitably, there's always a guy that's got the megaphone on the corner yelling, turn or burn. And I'm thinking, you know, you catch a lot more uh, uh, fish using worms than you do using uh, the bait you're using. We need to have empathy and compassion. Lord, look, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family like I did, there wasn't a whole lot of love or empathy or compassion I was learning. So I'm 30 years old when I got saved, trying to learn all of this stuff, like I'm just getting started like a little baby toddler. Oh, and as I say there, there's my little baby toddler grandson. Hi, little, little Zikai. I love you. Yeah, amen. Psalm 41, I mean, there's a hundred scriptures. This was one I just picked out. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in his time of trouble. Now think about that promise. As you're compassionate and you're... Uh, you have empathy for the less fortunate and you do something about it, whether it's big or small isn't the point. It's just you've got a heart like the heart of God. All of a sudden, when you're in trouble, God says, I'll come to your rescue in your time of trouble. Come on, leave no man behind. And, And I couldn't help but think, Israel needed to do a a mitzvah real quick besides the Passover. And what a mitzvah this was. Moses, no, we're going this way because there's some of our brothers and sisters in chains in the copper mines, in the turquoise mines, and we're not going to the promised land until we swing over there and pick them up and bring freedom to them too. And following that is when you know, the Red Sea thing happens, and we'll get to that. So number three is uh, uh, in this list, there's an undiscovered place that is mentioned in uh, Exodus 14, verse 1 and 2. And this is all part of what we're talking about, this pattern of redemption. And... uh, Exodus 14, 1 said, God spoke to Moses and tell the Israelites to turn around and make camp at Pihahirot between Migdal and the sea. Camp on the shore of the sea opposite of Baal Zephon. So this intrigued me, and again, I, you know, I, part of my job is to study. And so, in studying this out, this little-known place of Pihahirot has been translated from uh, Hebrew scholars as the mouth of freedom. The mouth of freedom. And I was reading the the great Rabbi Rashi uh, talking about this area in the Sinai Peninsula as being a city built by the sweat of Jewish slaves. But what was uh, unique to this area and this place is that there was a giant uh, statue uh, of a pagan deity, Baal Zephon, the Lord of the North, the Lord of the Storm. 
And this is the second to last God of Egypt that God would show Israel that this thing is going to be defeated in your life. Whatever storms that the enemy has brought against you in your life, I am defeating them. I am rescuing you you out of this. I am removing that burden from you. And I am taking you on a journey uh, uh, to the promised land. The last God, of course, was Pharaoh himself, who considered himself a God. So in Exodus 14, it goes on to say, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's going to pursue you. But I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They realized this. And so the Lord is showing us many things, but one of the things that stuck out to me is that He's showing Israel, Egypt, and the world that there is but one true God. You can uh, think that Baal, Zephon, and all these other pagan deities are gods that you can worship, but there is only one living God. And He's not a God that's made out of stone or wood. But He is the Almighty God, the living God, and He has come in our lives to rescue us, remove the burdens, destroy the yokes, and bring us into a better place. Do you receive that? Come on. Now, right as this is happening, we get to point number four, the power of biblical baptism. See, once Pharaoh has the opportunity to recapture Israel uh, and bring them back to Egypt, which is what the devil tries to do. The devil is going to work until the coming of the Lord to try to recapture you and bring you back and make you a slave to sin again. But it leads us to one of the most uh, misunderstood revelations in the Bible. Why did God have the Hebrew slaves go through the Red Sea. It wasn't because Cecil B. DeMille needed something uh, of a great special effect for his movie. In reality, it's a shadow of good things to come. The Red Sea is a shadow, a picture a type, a shadow of good things to come. See, the Passover sacrifice and all it represents, just the beginning. God is showing us our initial salvation uh, is as awesome as it is, is not enough. I guess it's enough if you're dying at 5 o'clock. How many of you are planning to live a long, prosperous, healthy, good life for the Lord? You might as well plan it. Amen? And so, he has them cross the Red Sea, and it's symbolically teaching us that crossing the Red Sea is symbolic of baptism. They went through the water and came up on the other side. In ancient Jewish teaching, baptism is just like what we understand as Christians, a spiritual cleansing. It's a renewing of the mind. It's the breaking of limitations. It's the breaking of curses. Why do I need to get baptized? For these reasons. 
Pharaoh changed his mind about letting Israel go and came after him with all the chariots, all the army of Egypt to bring them back and put them back into slavery. And the Bible says that, or the ancient wisdom says that many of the Hebrews also were uncertain. And they started feeling like, well, maybe we better go back. They saw all these miracles. They experienced the power of God, and yet even they were thinking, eh, maybe we better go back. And this is, uh, maybe you had been uh, perplexed in a way by this scripture in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Who's ever thought about, what's the connection? Uh, I thought you just made a confession. You confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart and you're saved. But then here the scripture says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, here's the deal. Salvation is an instantaneous thing, but it's also an ongoing thing. Work out your salvation. So God gives us a tool called baptism. Who was in the service when Pastor talked about baptism? Was it last week that he talked about baptism? Or two weeks ago, whenever that was? It's a powerful teaching. Because the washing of the hands, which is a mini form, or the going into the baptismal once a year or as often as you need it, is a cleansing spiritual cleansing moment when you're still fighting an attitude, you're still fighting an ideology, a mindset that's dragging you back into your past. Baptism is one way to help break that curse. God knows what He's doing. The children of Israel were still under the threat of bondage, captivity, oppression. But when they entered the water, they experienced a new level of God's breakthrough power. And they came out on the other side with a whole new beginning. Now they're saved and delivered. Are you saved and delivered? Amen. Is your past behind you once and for all? Have you put your foot down? Or are you Al Pacino and I'm being drawn back in? You got one foot in the world and the other one on a banana peel. What are you going to do? Baptize yourself. The next time we have a church baptism, go into the baptismal tank. With this as your revelation, I'm going in this thing to break every curse over my life, break every limitation. Those that, uh, 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 he who believes and is baptized. So do you see what we're talking about here? Amen? Amen? Number five. Miriam's song at the sea. Once they came out on the other side, here's a new principle, a fifth principle. Miriam uh, led all of Israel in a prophetic song of praise and thanksgiving. And so what that shows you and I today is that praise and thanksgiving, right, is a very powerful component on how you live in victory. Get your praise on. 
Just don't turn on the 70s station. Or the 60s station. Or the 50s station. I haven't seen a 40s station. (laughs) And I turn those things on. But boy, when I want to get jazzed up and on fire, man, I've got on my Pandora, I've got uh, the King and Country. Everybody heard the group for King and Country? I got their station. I have had the Mylon Lefevre station. I've got the Petra station. I've got the Michael W. Smith station. I've got the Hillsong station. And you ask my family, a lot of times I'll come home from work and I'll go in into a separate room and I'll put on a soundtrack because I need a soundtrack for my life that reminds me that I'm living in victory, that I got the joy of the Lord, that I got something to shout about, that I've got a, a, a way to praise the Lord and I enter his courts with praise, the Bible says. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people so the lesson here is build that up in your life right number five Miriam's song at the sea number six the bitter waters of mara the next place israel goes to as they march on towards their destiny uh they encounter a, a, a great teachable moment uh, and Exodus 15.22 says they're out in the... But they find no water. So they begin to murmur and complain. And as all of this is happening, they're at this place called Mara. Mara means bitterness. The bitter waters of Mara. There's water, but it's bitter. And what God is showing us is that uh, if, if you've been a slave, if you've been in sin, if you've been conditioned by the enemy through the course of your life, it's very possible that you've developed a root of bitterness because of frustration and broken promises and disappointments. And all of a sudden, you become bitter, and if you become bitter, you can't become better you got one choice. You're either going to be bitter or you're going to be better. And ancient wisdom says that when they began to murmur and complain, God was using this experience at Mara to expose that flaw. That you don't go through your life with bitterness, murmuring and complaining and bellyaching because that doesn't move the hand of God. Faith is what moves the hand of God. Your trust in God. Your willingness to praise Him and serve Him no matter what it looks like out there. Me and my house are going to serve the Lord and I'll get my praise on. In the midst of a storm, I'll praise you, Lord. And God is saying, get rid of the bitterness. And so they finally uh, uh, got Moses. Moses, what are we going to do? Moses uh, took a branch and threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. And uh, it says, he prayed to God. God instructed Moses concerning a tree which he cast into the waters and the water became sweet. There he gave him rituals and laws. 
So what's going on there is that in reality that tree represented the Word. And it was the Word of God, the promises of God, that were able to transform what was bitter into something that's sweet. That's why we have a Bible. That's why you need to focus on all the great and precious promises. Amen? Don't focus on your problems. Focus on the promises. And over time, that bitterness will be transformed into a sweet, sweet life. The abundant life Jesus promised in John 10.10. Now, how can I say that? Because Hebrews 4.12 says, We have the living Word of God, full of energy, like a two-edged sword. It will penetrate to the very core of our being, where spirit and soul, bone and marrow meet. It will interpret and it reveal the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. And so what God is doing there is showing us, you get that Word in you, and it just goes to work. And then you partner with God, and you're working the Word. You're working the Word. You're working the Word. You're working the Word. What do I do tomorrow? I'm working the Word. I'm working the Word. What do I do all this week? I'm working the Word. I'm working the Word. I'm working. What am I going to do for the rest of my life serving the Lord? I'm going to work the Word. Work the Word. Work the Word. Work the Word. It's the Lord's gym. Amen. Oh, you have to close it. The last thing is the battle with Amalek. This process of uh, transformation where God's trying to build you so the gates of hell will not prevail doesn't come without a fight. I beg your pardon. It ain't a rose garden, right? It, it'll get better and better. But the devil don't fight fair and he don't give up easy. Amalek despised Israel, despised God, despised religion, despised rules and rituals. Any kind of idea that said there's a higher power, Amalek despised. America's got people in government that have the spirit of Amalek on them. They despise anything having to do with one nation under God. So it's no coincidence after Israel goes through another murmuring and complaining session that Amalek attacks. And God is showing us we need to build our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. We need to turn things around using the power of the Word. It's a living Word. A prophetic Word. It's got breakthrough power. And a lot of times it works and you don't know how. How did that happen? (laughs) The power of the living God. So all this adds up to freedom for Israel Freedom for you and I today, it comes in stages. It doesn't all happen at once. Potentially it does, but you've got to walk it out. You've got to walk out of Egypt. You've got to walk away from your past. You've got to walk away from sinfulness. You've got to walk through the sea. You've got to walk singing a new song with a new soundtrack. You've got to walk with a a, a vision that you're heading towards sweet water and you're heading towards victory as God leads you in to your personal promised land. Amen. Amen. If you receive that this morning, give the Lord a praise.